This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome. It's a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. I have to keep reminding myself that it's Wednesday. Of course, the holiday weekend throws uh, threw me off a little bit, but uh, welcome. And uh, we've got plenty to talk about this morning. A lot of baseball yesterday. Um, Celtics finally got put out of their misery. Uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, we might as well <laughs> we we might as well lead uh, with that. There was no question that it was going to be over, right? We, I mean, we knew that uh, uh, they weren't coming back from a three-one deficit to the Nets. But then, you know, they go into yesterday's game, and uh, there's no uh, Kemba Walker in the lineup. He's got uh, a bad knee. Um, you know, it wasn't uh, it, it, the good news, I guess, for the Celtics. Because let's remember, the Celtics still have him for uh, two more years and $70 million. Uh, the good news is it wasn't the uh, the one that he had the surgery on. It was just a bone bruise. So uh, he, but he was out last night. So you knew going in that they really didn't have a chance. And uh, the Nets put him out of their misery, 123-109. And now the Celtics have some soul searching to do, you know, and uh, what are they going to do? Look, they know they have with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They know they have a good core. Evan Fournier was a nice piece. Robert Williams in center. I think, you know, he, he made steady progress throughout the year. You know, the question is, is uh, are they going to be able to get anything out of Kemba Walker? This is not the Kemba Walker that the Celtics thought that they were getting. You know, granted, some of it is the injuries, uh, and the Celtics had plenty of them this year. And so, you know, I mean, if you're a, uh, a Celtic apologist, I guess, you mean you can say, look, hey, you know, they didn't have their full team. You know, who knows, who knows, who knows. But even, you know, they just never played with any sense of urgency this season. So, look, they know they've got a good core, but they have got to find some depth, and they have got to find some fire. And I still don't think Brad Stevens should be fired. You know, but... But at the same time, you wonder if a coach that was a little bit more demonstrative, if it might have made a difference. I tend to doubt it, but it's fair to ask that question. Um, so, you know, but and Danny Ainge, I think, is on the hot seat. I think Danny Ainge, you know, looked at, you know, everybody got all excited because they made the Eastern Conference Finals last year and much was expected this year. This team took a step back. And you could make a case that they, you know, they have not been the way that uh, or, or as good as t the Celtics fans thought they should have been for the last few years. And I think if there's another disappointing season at, or at least even the start of one next year, Danny Ainge could find himself out of a job. I mean, I think you don't know how long or how patient ownership can continue to be. 
uh, in Boston. So fortunately for the Celtics, it's over. I mean, you know, I shouldn't say it like that, but you could tell they were ready to go. I mean, last night's game wasn't a blowout. It was a game that the Celtics hung around, but you never felt that they had a chance to get back in that game. So um, put a fork in them, uh, and it's time for some golf. Um, other things to talk about. The Olympics are going to happen, it looks like. Uh, they are making a, a push a little too late in Japan. They are trying to uh, ramp up vaccinations. All their uh, athletes are being vaccinated, and they're trying to get it done in the public. But they, they're not prepared for this. You know, they're not going to get people to where they need to be uh, fast enough. But they gave shots to 200 of its Olympic athletes yesterday. Um, you know, the IOC says that, that more than 80% of the athletes coming to the Olympic Village are going to be vaccinated. Now, let's put that, that in perspective. The Japanese population as a whole, two to three percent of the Japanese population is fully vaccinated. That's frightening. Let's contrast that here in the United States, where over 50 percent of our population of over 300 million people is vaccinated. 50 percent. You know, and so for a... uh, progressive country like japan to be only two or three percent you you mean you just got what what the hell are they doing you know uh you know so so the you know the questions about whether the olympic Games should go on or not was a valid one based on that you know uh now the athletes if they're fully vaccinated you would expect that they are going to be safe despite the fact that you know the japanese population isn't vaccinated And it also, you know, supposedly the vaccinations reduce transmission. So supposedly the Japanese public will be safe from the athletes spreading it. But still, it's a fair question as uh, how the hell do they only have two or three percent vaccine? That's nuts. You know, we're over 50 here. Uh, The hope is by July 4th, it's going to be 70 percent. I'm sure I think Joe Biden's a little optimistic on that one. Maybe we'll get to 60. That's great. I mean, here in the state, we're we're uh, over 60. Or about 60. Same thing in Massachusetts. So, and look, you know, we know that here in the United States, the uh, the virus levels are uh, the lowest they've been since the start of the pandemic. So things are going in the right direction. But there, it looks like they're going to happen. Uh, at least the, the athletes will be vaccinated. But I don't know what's going to happen beyond that. I think that uh, um, I hope that it, it doesn't become some kind of super spreader uh, event with the Japanese population. But, you know, again, I, I don't know. And I don't know whether it's a, a religious thing in Japan, whether it's a cultural thing about vaccines, or whether the government over there is just incompetent. But to know that you are supposed to host the biggest athletic uh, event in the world and to be where they are in terms of uh, vaccinations with what's been going on in, in, in society is, is just crazy crazy uh some olympic news the united states is trying to uh, qualify for the baseball tournament in the olympics and in order to do that they have to win um the qualifying tournament that is going on right now in west palm beach florida uh they won again last night they beat the dominican republic eight to six uh that's after winning uh, a game the previous night 
against, I believe it was Venezuela. Uh, so they are 2-0 and right now in Group A. Um, actually, no, it was Nicaragua that they beat. And uh, now they have to play. The, their round-robin finale will be today against Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico's 0-2 in this tournament. The top two teams will advance to the uh, the Super Round on Friday and Saturday, uh, along with Canada and Venezuela from Group B. Um, and then uh, the top team from the Super Round will qualify for the tournament. Right now, the teams that have qualified for the Olympic tournament are Japan, Israel, Mexico, uh, and South Korea. So... Uh, you know, look, we'll see. I mean, the United States looks like they're in pretty good shape. You know, there's some ex-major leaguers are playing in this. Um, some minor leaguers, obviously. The United States uh, team has Jared Duran, one of the top prospects uh, from the Boston Red Sox organization. He had a couple of hits in the first game, had another, had a double yesterday. Uh, so he's playing very, very well. So uh, we'll see. But anyway, the United States in pretty good shape. They beat Puerto Rico today. They're They're one step closer. Even if they don't win this, they can still get into the tournament. Um, they would have to, uh, there's like a, a secondary tournament, I guess, and they would have to uh, win that in June. That one's going to be held in Mexico. So they've got two chances, but I'm sure they'd like to get it out of the way here. Uh, Canada looks like it might be the uh, the class so far uh, of that other group. They've uh, they've been very, very good. So anyway, that's where we're at as far as that. Um, the other Olympic question is, will Naomi Osaka play in the Olympics? She just pulled out of the French Open. She said she's going to take some time away from tennis. Now, the Olympics are still a couple of months away. You would think that she will she will do that, but we don't know. And yesterday, the uh, other uh, Grand Slam uh, tennis organization or, or uh, groups all came out in support of her and said, hey, we're going to try to figure out how to make this better, yada, yada, yada. You know, here's the thing. You know, Osaka has really kind of put herself in a bad situation here. Um, you know, this started out with a thing about, well, I'm going to boycott the media. I don't want to talk to the media. And then it became when, when that backfired on her and she got fined and uh, the French Open did not support her. Now all of a sudden she withdraws and it's, and it's a uh, emotional issue. And again, as I said yesterday, if she's got emotional problems and, you know, and social anxiety, whatever, she needs to get help. And, you know, you got to support her in that, you know, however, you know, and here's the problem with this up until she changed direction and it went from being a, um, uh, protest, so to speak, to not talk to the media, to an emotional issue. Nobody ever knew that she had any problems with this, you know, nobody knew. Uh, and I'm, you know, and, but you know, there have been interviews she's done in the past where she's talked about her social anxiety. So I'm not saying that it's not valid, but you know, you can't, you know, and, and this was just mishandled by her, by her people. No question about it. So now when she comes back because of all that, she's going to have even more questions to answer. And you know, at the end of the day, they got to, she's got to figure it out because it's part of the deal. And even n nobody bigger in tennis then Rafael Nadal, right? You know, one, the, perhaps the greatest or, you know, second greatest tennis player in the world right now, maybe behind uh, Djokovic. Uh, he said, look, he said, I understand her. He said, but without the press, 
And without the people who are normally traveling and writing the news and the achievements that we're doing around the world, he said we might not be the athletes that we are. Translation is, if the media is not out there pumping us up, we're not making the kind of money that we're making because fans aren't coming out to the stadium. Companies aren't lining up to give us endorsements. We need the press. We need it. And he's right. So she's uh, she's on a very slippery slope. It'll be interesting to see uh, whether she does play. Uh, well, two things: will she play in Wimbledon, and will she play in the Olympics? You know how? What is she going to do in the meantime? Is she going to get some kind of counseling, or is it just like uh, I need a break and I got to figure out how I'm going to handle this? Yeah, I don't know. But she has certainly put herself in a very difficult situation. All right, that's uh, that's all on the Olympics. Um, you know, and I love the Olympics, don't you know? And but this has been uh, with the pandemic. It's you know, it's a, it's strange times, you know. And then Naomi Osaka's uh, situation is equally as strange. So, but I I'm always I'm one of those people that when the Olympics come, I watch them all the time. I can't get enough, you know. With the exception of a few events, like I you you couldn't get me. I can't watch gymnastics. I'm sorry. I know it's very popular. I, I, it does nothing for me. I can't stand watching it. It's like watching skating in the winter Olympics. Don't like that either. So, you know, men or women, yeah, I just can't stand it, you know, and I, and I can skate. I, I can't do what they do, but I can skate. I can't do <laughs> gymnastics. I mean, I couldn't, you know, but regardless, it's just, those are sports I don't enjoy watching. I enjoy watching, you know, the swimming and the basketball and the uh, track events. And, you know, I, I like watching stuff like, you know, team handball, you know, uh, I love watching curling in the winter Olympics. I know, I know, you know, but I love watching some of the sports you don't normally get to see in the Olympics. And that's, that's why I love like here in the United States with NBC, they have it on like, you know, 87 networks and just about every event's being covered. So you've got a chance to watch everything. I, I love that. I love it. All right, uh, so let's get to some baseball. And before we get to last night's games, uh, news came out yesterday about the month of May, what happened in the month of May. And, you know, we've known what a uh, uh, offensive uh, wasteland baseball has been this year. And it got slightly better in May. Uh, overall, in Major League Baseball, hitters uh, batted 239 in May. That's up from 232 in April. But it's still the lowest average for the month of May since 1972. Overall, Major League Baseball hitters are uh, batting 236 this season through May 31st. That is the lowest since the 229 of 1968. And that was before they lowered the pitcher's mound uh, from 15 inches to 10. Uh, on base percentage up slightly in April, but it's still awful. It's still the worst since 1972. Uh, the only thing that hasn't changed is they're still hitting home runs. You know, I mean, and the slugging percentage didn't decline much because they're still hitting home runs, but strikeouts still bad. Uh, strikeouts exceeded hits by 838 in May. You know, it was worse than that in April. It was 1,091 in April. But strikeouts have never, you know, prior to May of 2018, strikeouts had never exceeded hits in a month. It happens on a regular basis now. Teams are striking out an average of nine times per game, 8.99 to be uh, exact. 
Uh, it's on pace to set a record for the 13th consecutive full season. Uh, it's just it's crazy. Teams are only averaging 7.8 hits a game. That's the second lowest since 1908 when it was 7.75. Seattle as a team hitting 205. 205. The record, by the way, that was set all the way back in 1910. The Chicago White Sox uh, hit 211. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's brutal. Absolutely brutal. So now we transition from that to the Red Sox game last night. And the offense was absolutely brutal for the Boston Red Sox. Just five hits in the game again last night. Five. And two of those were by Alex Verdugo. Red Sox struck out nine times last night and had five hits. That is the 2021 season in a capsule. And walked just once, by the way. Uh, Luis Garcia, uh, young kid from Houston, just, I mean, it's ridiculous. By the way, he's fun to watch. He's got this, when he winds up on the mound, he's got this, uh, this delivery. It looks like the start of a dance. It's like the cha-cha. I mean, it's not like your normal uh, pitcher wind-up. It's kind of cool. You know, and he's got this rhythm and the Red Sox were not able to get him out of the rhythm and he just was killing him. Struck out six over seven innings. Raphael Devers is in a funk where he cannot hit a fastball. I don't know what the Sox are going to do. And look, the kid is special. The kid is going to figure it out. But you look at how good he has been this year going into last night's game. All right. He was hitting 280. And uh, his uh, slugging of 597 was seventh best in the majors. He was tied for fifth in homers, and he was first in extra base hits. Yet, you look at him and you say, well, this is, this is very strange. He's killing breaking balls. He's hitting uh, 362 um, against breaking balls, sliders, curveballs. But against fastballs, he's hitting one. 72. That's almost, I mean, that's 243 out of 262 players have, who have seen 200 or more fastballs. It's awful. His slugging percentage is just 366 off of fastballs. He struck out 51 times on fastball, which is by far the most in the major leagues. He swung and missed at 22% of the fastballs he's seen. That's the third highest rate in the majors. I mean, it's brutal. You know, and we know he can hit the fat. Remember when he hit the uh, home run off of Roldis Chapman, 103 miles an hour? We, we know he can hit. But he is, I mean, and, and some of these fastballs that he's missing, folks, the last couple of nights have been right down the middle of the plate. Right down the middle. I mean, ones that you're going, you know, it's Ray Charles at the plate. I mean, it's a, it was that bad. Uh, he's going to figure it out. But yesterday, the Red Sox were just bad everywhere. They made two errors in the field. Uh, they they Every time they needed a big hit, they couldn't get it. Uh, they, their pitching staff walked nine guys last night. And I'll tell you what, Garrett Richards, all right, God love him. Now, he took the loss last night, and he, maybe he deserved better. Went six innings, only gave up two runs and four hits. But he walked four guys. 
It's every inning he had like, you know, two, three guys on. He, I think he left the bases loaded twice. It's unbelievable. I mean, this guy is a case of Rolades every time he pitches. Every time. You know, yet he has an ERA of 3.75. He's a magician. Uh, Salamora came out of the bullpen last night and was bad again. He has been, his last few outings have been brutal. Uh, and Alex Cord did something last night he hasn't normally done. He brought Garrett Whitlock into a very difficult situation last night. Normally with Whitlock, the Rule 5 kid, you know, didn't have any, hadn't pitched above double A before this season, and they have to keep him on the roster if they, you know, they claimed him in the Rule 5 draft from the Yankees, so they've got to keep him on the roster. And he's done well. But they brought him in last night with the bases loaded and one out and said, here you go, kid. And what does he do? He walks the first guy he faces on four pitches. You know, he doesn't end up getting charged with any runs, but he walks a guy on four pitches, then gives up a sacrifice fly. So two of the inherited runners that he had, he, uh, had scored. Just, you know, there wasn't much that you could point to that went right. Um, so... That's two in a row now they've lost to the Astros. They've got Nick Pavetta going to the mound today. You know, I mean, it's against Framber Valdez. Look, it's a game that they've got to win today. You cannot go into Yankee Stadium this weekend for that series against the Yankees after getting swept by the Houston Astros. I mean, this has, and look, we knew this was going to be a difficult stretch for the Red Sox. This is... They're, you know, all the teams they play for essentially the next three weeks are all teams that made the playoffs last year. And this is a stretch where the Red Sox could find themselves from being one of the best teams in baseball to back in the pack. They could be, they could be keeping company with the Baltimore Orioles in the cellar if they're not careful. Seriously. You know, I mean, that's that's how bad things are right now. So, you know, they've got the Astros today and tomorrow. They've got to get a split in this series. And then the Yankees for three. Then they come back home. They've got a makeup game with the Marlins on Monday. And then three more with the Astros. And then four with the Blue Jays. And then a couple with the Braves. They don't get a break until the Orioles, I mean, until the Royals come in um, on the 18th of June. And then right after that, who do you got again? Tampa Bay and New York. I mean, the Red Sox seriously could be out of this thing in a few weeks if they're not careful. The offense continues to be an issue. You know, J.D. Martinez hit the ball a couple of times well yesterday, but he hit it at people, but he went 0 for 4 again. Sander Bogarts, you know, went 0 for 4. Devers, 0 for 4. I mean, the middle of their lineup. Kike Hernandez, and I don't understand that. Look, uh, it's hard to criticize too much when the Red Sox are 11 games over 500. Okay, I get that. But Cora's insistence on hitting Kike Hernandez at the top of the lineup boggles my mind. Kike Hernandez uh, is hitting 232, and he has an on-base percentage of, or, of 292. That is not a leadoff hitter. Now, I get it that you only lead off once a game. 
but it's still a vital part of your lineup when you're turning the lineup over from your number nine to your leadoff guy. You expect some things to happen as you're going, you know, to set the table for the guys coming behind your the middle of your lineup. And he has not done it. And yet, Cora insisted last night after the game, despite the fact that Kike went over again. Now he did walk once, good for him, but he went over three. Um, Cora insisted he'll be back in the leadoff slot tonight. I don't get it. You know, and at some point he's going to have to throw up the white flag and say, we got to try something else. Frankly, I'd wish he'd put Xander Bogarts at the top of the lineup. He gets on base. You know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't, the problem is, is that, you know, with the exception of that, that core four or five guys, they don't have anybody that's hitting. You know, so maybe it's just he's figuring it's the best of a bad lot, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, one other Red Sox note before we uh, take a quick break. Um, Brandon Workman has opted out of his minor league contract with the Red Sox. So now the Red Sox have 48 hours to either call him up from Worcester or release him so that he can sign with another club. Now, look, this is a guy they traded last year to the Phillies to get Pavetta, to get Connor Siebold. Um, he stunk for the Phillies, signed with the Cubs this year, stunk with the Cubs, and they released him. I mean, he was hideous. Now, he has pitched very well for Worcester. Uh, he's appeared in seven games. Uh, he's allowed just one earned run on three hits. He struck out 10 and walked four. He's looked like the old Brandon Workman. I, you know, they talked about the fact that he kind of, his delivery was screwed up and they've worked with him down there. And uh, he seems to be the old Brandon Workman. Now, if that's the case, that'd be awesome. But now in order for the Red Sox to call him up, they have to make room on the major league roster, which means designated somebody for assignment. Who's that going to be? My guess is if they want to try it, it could be Colton Brewer and hope maybe Brewer doesn't get picked up on waivers and they can sneak him back down to the minor leagues. Uh, and frankly, even if he gets claimed, who cares? You know, at this point, uh, Colton Brewer came in the other day and was awful. He's been awful since the Red Sox got him. I mean, at this point, you could basically say he and Workman are interchangeable. What the hell do you got to lose? Uh, so anyway, they've got 48 hours to make a decision what they're going to do uh, with Brandon Workman. Uh, the good news for uh, the Red Sox, the Rays lost yesterday. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. And uh, so last night, the Red Sox are in the, like, I think they're in the seventh inning. And, uh, you know, the Yankees and the Rays have gone to extra innings. And I, I turned to my wife and I said, man, I really hope the Yankees win tonight. <laughs> my wife looked at me like I'd been smoking crack. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. You're not going to hear me say, God, I hope the Yankees win very often. Uh, but it was one of those nights last night where you could see the way things were going and the Red Sox were going to be in danger of falling even farther behind the Rays. They're already two back. They would have been three back. Uh, but fortunately, the Yankees found a way. Uh, Clint Frazier with a 11th inning two-run home run and the Yankees beat the Rays last night 5-3. to three. Uh, so the Yankees uh, do themselves and the Red Sox a favor. Tyler Glass now pitched pretty well for Tampa again, was the starter, went seven, uh, struck out eight, gave up uh, three runs and four hits, but was pretty good. Uh, but they got to Andrew Kittredge finally in the 11th inning. And Frazier, by the way, who hit that home run, also made a uh, great defensive play in the eighth inning um, on a, uh, a, a sinking line drive off of uh, Joey Wendell's bat. 
and uh, made the catch, saved the run. And this is a guy, by the way, that a couple of, last couple of years has been a defensive liability to the point where he was getting booed by the home crowd and just like, and they were taking him out of games late for defensive replacements and uh, he made a huge play last night and then of course hits the home run now you know look that doesn't forgive everything he's still struggling he's hitting uh one 185 he's only got five home runs on the season this is a guy that a lot of teams wanted you know they a lot of teams inquired about uh, trading for him, the Yankees insisted they were not going to let him go, and they've given him a chance to play more frequently this year, especially with the injuries, and he has not performed yet. Uh, and the Yankee bats, you know, they scored uh, uh, five runs last night, but they only had six hits. You know, again, they uh, they have a lot of spots in their lineup right now that aren't hitting. Uh, John Carlos Stanton did not start, came out as a pinch hitter and didn't do anything. Gary Sanchez had one hit. He's finally got his average over 200. But you looked up and down that Yankee lineup. It looks a lot like the Red Sox lineup where you have a couple of guys that are performing, you know, Aaron Judge being one of them, uh, DJ LeMahieu. But outside of that, uh, the Yankee bats are struggling. Um, so, but the Yankees do the uh, Red Sox a favor. Shane McClanahan is going to pitch the young left-hander for the Yankees and he's going to or I mean for the Rays and he's going to take on Jordan Montgomery in the third game of the series it's a four-game series you know and this is one of the things for the Red Sox what they would love is if they can now you know take a couple uh, from Houston maybe take these last two games of the series get themselves in a position uh, if the Yankees can take care of business the Red Sox can find themselves you know tied for first again before they go to New York for this weekend so but they got to get some help from the Yankees and I'm begging for it, but I, I still can't believe it. Uh, by the way, how about the Baltimore Orioles finally won a game? <laughs> they had lost 14 in a row. They got a win last night. And that's, and then, you know what? How bad are things for the Minnesota Twins? And uh, they can't even beat the Orioles. Uh, the Twins fell back to 10 games under 500. Uh, the Orioles uh, win 7-4 over the Twins. Good for them. Uh, they used a four-run third inning, the b- big difference. Uh, Cedric Mullins, uh, a big catch um, in right center field. And uh, it was early in the game, but then uh, got a couple of hits, scored two runs, and uh, the Orioles managed to get the win. So congratulations to the Orioles, 18-37. and 37, But uh, uh, the Twins, boy, I tell you what, I worry about Rocco Baldelli's job. The longer this goes on, uh, you know, and there was a lot of talk on the Major League Baseball Network about, you know, the biggest disappointments of the start of the season, and everybody uh, thought it was the Twins. You know, and the Twins are 10 and a half games behind the White Sox. I don't – there's no way they're catching them. But, you know, the thing is, is that they're behind the Detroit Tigers. They're behind the Kansas City Royals that don't have near the talent that that Minnesota Twins team does. Uh, so – uh, I worry about poor Rocco. I mean, he's a Rhode Island guy, New England guy, and uh, I root for him. But whew, all that magic they found last year has gone right down the toilet. Uh, the Mets lose last night. Uh, they lose to the Diamondbacks 6-5. The Diamondbacks get two runs in the bottom of the 10th inning. A Josh Reddick two-run double, and uh, they beat the Mets 6-5. Marcus Stroman got the start for the Mets last night. Uh, you know, went six. Gave up three runs, seven hits, struck out six, didn't walk anybody. Uh, but then uh, they tied it up in the ninth off of uh, Edwin Diaz, his first blown save of the season. Uh, and then uh, Reddick with the double off of May in the 10th inning to win it 
Young got the win for Arizona in relief, despite the fact he gave up a run uh, to the Mets in the top of the 10th inning. Uh, and the series will conclude tonight. Madison Bumgarner is going to get the start for Arizona. David Peterson, who's 1-4 with a 4-9-1 for the Mets, will get the start. You know, look, uh, the Mets, with all the injuries that they have, to still be sitting in first place, in the NL East is nothing short of a miracle. And some of that's been, you know, one of the other disappointing teams you would have to say has been the Atlanta Braves. Now, disappointing that, I mean, they're only two games under 500. It's not, they're not as bad off as Minnesota. And fortunately for them, they're in a division where everybody else is underachieving. Everybody thought that the Nationals were going to be better. Everybody thought that the Phillies were going to be better. Well, the bottom line is everybody in that division stinks. The Mets are the class of the division, and they're doing it with a bunch of guys hurt. You know, if they get everybody back and healthy, uh, look out. You know, I think the Mets still can win this division. Um, I mean, I know the I know MLB wants the Braves to win this division because they so want to embrace Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, Ozzie Albies, all these young kids on the Atlanta Braves. They want that to be the face of baseball, and the Braves are not cooperating. You know, it's kind of like, it's almost like Major League Baseball has given up on Mike Trout. We know Mike Trout's the best player in baseball, and, you know, they would love to see the Angels get into the playoffs and so that you could have a Mike Trout on the biggest stage for the playoffs and the World Series and get young kids excited about Mike Trout. The problem is, is that the Angels have stunk for so long, uh, the chances of that happening aren't very good. You know, now the Angels may still have a chance to sneak into the playoffs this year, but... Uh, with Trout out for the next month, you know, it's certainly going to be an uphill struggle. Uh, but uh, anyway, so the Mets hanging in there despite the loss last night. Uh, the Blue Jays win. The Blue Jays were back in Buffalo for their first game of the season, and they were playing in front of crowds again for the first time in two years. Uh, you know, they were just down in Dunedin, Florida, you know, and you had a, you had a few people there. Uh, but they played in Buffalo last year, but fans weren't allowed. Uh, in the ballpark last year. So uh, they played in front of uh, an empty stadium. Well, this year they had over 5,300 people. Now the city of New York or the state of New York said they could have 6,600 uh, max capacity, but uh, they've been, uh, they got 5,300 in there last night. They were really excited and uh, they got a win. They beat the, Mi- the uh, Miami Marlins last night, 5-1. But the story of the game last night and the story of maybe Major League Baseball this year so far is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Now, he dropped 30 or 40 pounds in the offseason, came back and said, look, I want to I go back and play third base. And, you know, uh, you know he's recommitted himself to, uh, to being, uh, you know, look, to being what everybody thought he should be. Well, it has paid dividends. Now, they didn't put him back at third base. He's played first. And, you know, he is a below-average first baseman, but it's a position that he's not used to playing. And he's going to get better, I think especially if he keeps the weight off. But last night, he only saw seven pitches in his four at-bats. Seven pitches. But he went four for four. <laughs> seven pitches. Uh, drove in three runs. Had his 17th home run of the season. Right now, he could be the MVP of the American League. You know, uh, he has, he's hitting 337. He's got an OPS of 1104. 17 home runs, leads the major leagues. I mean, he has been insane. And uh, so that's all anybody wanted to talk about. 
You know, unfortunately for Robbie Ray, who had a great outing for Toronto, he went six innings, only gave up a run, struck out nine. Uh, he picked up his third win of the season. Sandy Alcantara uh, got hit around a little bit, and uh, he takes the loss, falls to two and five on the year. But uh, a good win for uh, the Blue Jays. Again, a win that they needed with the Rays losing last night. So uh, now the Blue Jays find themselves five and a half back uh, of Tampa. They had been kind of going south. But, uh, you know, good win for them last night. Now, look, the other thing that the other news last night was Mark Shapiro, uh, the president of the Blue Jays, opened the door a little bit to the chance that Toronto might be able to return to their ballpark and play in the Rogers Center at some point this year. Now, right now, as we know, the border to Canada is closed. Uh, they've been having conversations back and forth with the government. They said it's happened more frequently and it's been more positive. But then, you know, just yesterday, Justin Trudeau, the PM, uh, said they're not going to, you know, be rushed into opening their border because the NHL is having the same issue. Once this series, this next NHL series between the Canadians and the Winnipeg Jets is over, the winner of that is going to have to play somebody from the United States. And it means one of two things. Either if the border is not open and the team from the U.S. can't go to Canada to play those games, whoever is the winner out of that is going to have to play at a neutral site in the United States, and that's going to be their home arena. You know, So they're not going to have an opportunity to play at home, which is a, uh, you know, it's not fair. Quite frankly, I mean, look, the pandemic is what it is, and the pandemic doesn't give a crap about the NHL or the Major League Baseball or anything else. But uh, so Canada is kind of under a lot of pressure right now from both the NHL and Major League Baseball who would like to get their teams back in there. I get it. Uh, but uh, the Blue Jays seem to think that it could happen before this year. Now, they're committed to playing in Buffalo through July 1st. And I'm sure the conversation with Buffalo was, look, hey, look, if we need to spend – more time here, you know, can we make that happen? Uh, and I would imagine that they can. The difficulty is is that, you know, the, the AAA team plays there. So it might be more of a scheduling problem as we go along. But uh, anyway, at least uh, encouraging news, I guess, if you are a Blue Jays fan that uh, maybe you guys can get back uh, to the Rogers Center this year. It's 46 minutes past the hour. We've got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call. A few minutes left here this morning. So the Dodgers lose last night to the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, the Cardinals win it 3-2. Uh, David Price got the start for the uh, Dodgers. Only lasted an inning and two-thirds. They've kind of been using him more as an opener uh, as opposed to a true starter. But uh, he got, gave up two runs and five hits in just an inning and two-thirds. Um, but this one ended up uh, being decided late. Uh, it matter of fact, it decided in the ninth inning, uh, Edmundo Sosa with a, uh, single, an RBI single in the ninth inning to put the Cardinals ahead, uh, three to two. Then in the bottom of the inning, uh, it looked like things might fall apart for St. Louis and their closer, uh, Reyes. He was, uh, he did end up uh, finally getting his 16th save of the season, but it, uh, got dicey, uh, with two outs, bases empty and two outs. Uh, Yoshi Tatsugo, remember him? He, he came over from the uh, on a trade from the Dodgers. Well, he drew a two-out walk. Cody Bellinger singled, and so now runners on first and second two outs. And then Mookie Betts absolutely scorched the ball 
uh, to left field. Tyler O'Neill uh, goes back and makes a leaping catch to uh, prevent extra bases, and Reyes ends up with his 16th save. But it was a uh, it was a tight one. Uh, so the Cardinals improved to 31 and 24, and uh, they currently are sitting in second place, about a half a game behind the Cubs. But if you're the Cardinals, they took a gut punch yesterday. Uh, their ace, Jack Flaherty, uh, is going on the injured list. He has been shut down uh, with what has been characterized as a a significant oblique injury. Uh, you know, how long does that mean? Uh, look, I've had uh, oblique tears. It can be a month. It can be six weeks. It could be longer. I mean, that's one of those, you know, you just don't know. Uh, so that is a big blow to the St. Louis Cardinals' chances, and they've been playing uh, pretty well. Uh, the Cubs are playing even better, and the Cubs beat the Padres last night 4-3. Uh, to three. And so now the Cubs, uh, again, sitting in first place, they've won 8 of 10. And it was a Wilson Contreras go-ahead home run, uh, the difference last night. But the news of this game was that Fernando Tatis Jr., left the game in the sixth inning uh, with some right oblique tightness. you know. And here we go again. Tatis has already been on the injured list twice this year. Uh, they said that they took him out for precautionary measures. You know, let's hope that it's nothing and that it was just, you know, maybe he felt a little twinge or something. But look, uh, and look, the, the, the Padres have... Plenty of players on this team. I mean, they've got plenty of talent. Can they win without him? Yes. But uh, when you're competing in that division with the Dodgers and with the resurgent San Francisco Giants, you need Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, you can make the case that right now that he and Vlad Jr. and Ronald Acuna Jr. are probably, uh, you know, maybe along with, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, Sosa from... Uh, the Nationals maybe are the Mount Rushmore of young players in Major League Baseball right now. They have got to keep him on the field. So uh, I'm sure Padre fans are all crossing their fingers. Uh, so the Cubs win that one, and the series wraps up today. Um, Alzale will get the start for Chicago. He is 3-4 and four with a 3-8-1. Denilson Lamette uh, will get the start for the Padres. Of course, he uh, went three innings his last time out. And they're kind of easing him back in. He was on the uh, injured list for a while. Very talented starting pitcher. Uh, hopefully that his pitch count is getting to a point where they can ramp him up a little bit more and he can get him a little bit deeper than three innings. But, uh, uh, again, they just have to hope that the injury to Tatis is not very serious. Uh, I mentioned the Giants. The Giants are sitting in first place right now in the NL West, but now it's just a half a game. Uh, they lose yesterday to the Angels. 8-1. to one. Uh, Alex Wood got the start for San Francisco and took it on the chin. Seven runs in three and two-thirds innings, but it was walks again. He hit four hits, but he also walked four guys. Uh, Andrew Heaney got the start for the Angels and put up one of his best outings in a while. Uh, Heaney, I guess, uh, he and Bundy would, I guess, be the top two pitchers for this, um, this Angels team, but they you know, have struggled. 
you know, Bundy's been better than than Heaney, but at least Heaney seems to be starting to get it together. He went six and a third yesterday, a one run, five hits. He struck out seven, only walked one, picked up his third win of the season. Um, but uh, the Angels, despite not having Mike Trout, still trying to find a way to hang in there in the American League West. They are five games under five hundred, but they're only six back of Oakland and Houston, but they need Mike Trout back. But if, if, if Heaney and uh, uh, Bundy and, you know, they can piece it together a little bit and, and pick it up, they can hopefully uh, hang in there. And uh, the Braves lose again. The Washington Nationals, who I just mentioned, beat them. Steven Strasburg got the start for the Nationals. Uh, again, some more concerns about him. Uh, left the game. And uh, this is a guy that was on the injured list for a month with right shoulder inflammation. He's going to have an MRI on Wednesday. Uh, so obviously some concern out of Washington. This is another one of those guys, uh, you know, highly touted and has had hard time pitching an entire season. Uh, but the Braves lose again, uh, this time 11-6. to six. You know, and uh, Ryan, uh, Juan Soto, Ryan Zimmerman, each had two run home runs and uh, the Nationals again, you know, look, and here's the thing with the Nationals, you know, they've been a disappointment. No question. Seven games under 500, but they are still in the mix. It's not nobody's out of it. What you mean with the exception of the Baltimore Orioles, I guess, and, and the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, nobody's out of it. Well, I, oh, and add the Diamondbacks to that. I mean, those are all teams that are, you know, 11 plus games out of first place. Good luck. Uh, but, uh, you know, everybody else, including the nationals, despite being where they are right now, still are in the mix. If they can stay healthy, uh, before we get out of here this morning, uh, one other quick note, I just wanted to mention the passing of uh, Mike Marshall known as iron Mike. Um, this is a guy that was the first relief pitcher to win the Cy Young award. He did that back in 1974. He appeared in 106 games for the Dodgers that year. 106 games out of 162. Think about that. At one point, he appeared in 13 straight games through 206 innings in relief that year. It's unheard of. Uh, but uh, he he was an all-star for the Dodgers in 74 and 75. He holds the American League record for most games in relief uh, in a season. He had 90 for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, his career lasted up until 1981. Pitched for nine teams. Uh, career ERA of 3.14. 188 career saves, uh, but uh, Iron Mike was, I remember him, I mean, growing up, he was, uh, he seemed like he was in every game, uh, but he passed away yesterday at the age of 78. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some Blake Shelton along with the Oak Ridge Boys. It's called Doing It the Country Songs. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.